How's everybody doing? Good. The sun is shining. The air is cooler. The Razorbacks won. And oh yeah, Jesus came back from the dead. Yeah, we got reason to celebrate, don't we? We absolutely, we absolutely do. Well, we're going to talk a lot about celebration today. So I want to give you a few things to celebrate just to kind of prime you so that we really just think about this idea of celebration as we look into Scripture. A few weeks ago, we um, allowed um, you guys to participate in something absolutely amazing, and you stepped up and you have participated in an incredible, incredible way. And through this church, uh, we are going to find ourselves sponsoring every single kid in Cerros, Colorado, Peru through Compassion. And so praise God for that. Amen. So you continue to pray for Pastor Darion as he is getting ready with the team there to plant the church. And these kids are going to get loved on. And you guys are going to be such a blessing to these beautiful children uh, there in Peru. Also, some more exciting things. Um, uh, Jason Talent and the team up there in Boston, they're launching today with worship services. And so uh, they're a little bit ahead of us, an hour ahead of us. I'm not sure what time they started this morning. They may already be done. They may be in the middle of it right now. But what an exciting day. Um, some of our folks are up there today uh, serving this weekend and helping. They didn't go to go see the World Series. They went for more important things like people coming to Jesus. But anyway, we celebrate that, and it's so fun and so exciting. All of this stuff comes together as we are carrying out our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. You would think when you talk about good things happening, especially about kids getting uh, taken care of and loved on, getting good food and education and the gospel, think about churches being planted in Peru and in Boston, you would just think that everybody, you would especially think that followers of Jesus would celebrate that, but sadly, they don't. Look at Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look again at the story of the prodigal son. Last week, we began looking at this story. We're looking at it from different vantage points uh, today, we're going to be looking at it from the older brother's vantage point. We're going to look at him a lot this morning. Last week, we looked at the younger son, the prodigal son, if you will. If you ask me which one I identify more with, the prodigal son or the older son, I would say that would depend on the day that I'm having. If I'm having a really good day, I feel like the older son. Look at me. I'm home. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. If I'm having a bad day, ah, man, I feel more like the prodigal. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, in this series called Come Back. Luke chapter 15, verse number 1. Tax collectors, now, I don't think I have to really describe this because these folks even today, and if you work for the IRS, we love you, but like, I mean, you don't really like thinking about tax collectors, do you? Well, listen, it was incredibly, incredibly corrupt during that day. These guys were the enemy. These guys could charge you whatever they wanted to, however they wanted to. They could just kind of take everything from you with government authority. So it begins talking about these unlovable people, if you will, these unliked people, the tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Now, I think most of us in the room, if we were honest, if we were honest, we would say that, yes, we are sinners, but we would not like to be known as notorious sinners, right? And yet... We find here this group of people made up of tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So this was the crowd that Jesus was attracting. It was the marginalized. It was the not good people that were being drawn to Jesus. Verse 2. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law 
complain that he, Jesus, was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so we're introduced here in verse number 2 to these religious folks called the Pharisees and these teachers of the law. Now, I don't want you to just automatically think Pharisees are bad and teachers of the law are bad. They're not automatically bad. But what we find these groups of people doing in that day is we find these people that began their journey with God by faith have now decided to make it all about what they do and how good they are and how good they are at keeping the law. And these Pharisees would have made sure that people were keeping the law and they would have made sure that everybody that wasn't keeping the law knew about it. They were constantly pointing out the bad people. They were saying, look, they don't measure up. Look, they don't, they don't do what they ought to do. So we got these teachers of the religious law that were constantly enforcing and even writing laws. And so we find these Pharisees being wrapped up in something that some people call Phariseeism. Phariseeism is very, very bad. It's a performance-based spirituality. And that's where a lot of people live today. They think that what they do or what they don't do earns them favor with God or causes them to lose favor with God. And that's where these Pharisees were. You also see here in the scripture that it says that they were complaining. Now, there's a part of me that appreciates this verse of scripture being in there because I'm thinking if these guys weren't even pleased with everything Jesus did, maybe, maybe, you know, like, you know, complaining. People compl- I don't know if you know this or not. People complain. Y'all are wondering if you're supposed to react to that or not. Husbands, people complain, don't they? Wives, people complain. Don't, moms, people complain, don't they? Dads, people complain, don't they? Teachers at school, people complain, don't they? Huh? I mean, come on. Bosses, people complain, don't they? They complain. Even Jesus got complaints. And here's what they were complaining about. They were complaining that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. What was their issue? We're good enough for Jesus to hang out with us, but they're not. They should be left out. And so they were struggling with it. They were struggling with these people coming and being with Jesus. They were struggling with the fact that the gate was open wide. They didn't like that the gate was open wide. In fact, the Pharisees would say, we're the chief gatekeepers. We say who can get in and who can't. They were professional fence builders. They were constantly saying, you can't come in here because you haven't done whatever we think you ought to do to get in here. So they looked at Jesus, and the gate was open wide, and these people were coming to Jesus, these tax collectors, these notorious sinners, and they were like, man, this is not the way this is supposed to work. The gate being opened wide bothers some people. Drop down to verse number 11 now into the story that we looked at last week and we want to look at again. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. I'm going to read straight through to about uh, verse 24 or so and just let the story speak for itself. If you missed last week, we really want you to hop onto our app and or online and listen in as we talk much about the younger brother or the prodigal son. Listen to what it reads in chapter 15, verse 11. To To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them, who? The Pharisees. And the law givers, the teachers of the religious law. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. 
So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. Verse 15. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Now I'll pause here after verse number 16 and say that if Jesus would have stopped the story right here, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have said amen really, really loud. They would have said, yep, this young punk got what was coming his way. He deserved to find himself in the pig pen. He deserved to be empty and broken and alone. That's exactly where he ought to be. But Jesus didn't end the story in verse 16. He goes on to verse number 17. When he, the younger son, this prodigal son, finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, embraced him, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Wow, everybody's good, right? The son comes home, there's a party happening. Verse 25, dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Why was the older son in the fields working? Because the older son believed my duty is to do everything that I'm supposed to do. And one of the things I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to work hard. Supposed to work hard. He's in the field working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Can you imagine walking back from the fields? You see the barn. You see the house. You see everything. And you hear... The song, Jump Around, Cranking Up in Dad's Barn. Some of you don't know what song that is. If you've ever been to any football game, you've heard it. You didn't know what it was, but you've heard it. All right? It's one of those songs that just gets you going. They played it after Purdue put on the beatdown of Ohio State last night. Don't celebrate that, but I'm, I'm excited about it. Anyway, it's just one of those songs that gets you going. Music's playing. And he's like, what is going on? What's going on? It's interesting. If you read the first portion of chapter 15, there are two other stories that Jesus tells to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. He talks about a shepherd that has a hundred sheep. 
One of them runs off and is lost. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. He finds the one and he brings it home. And it says that this sheep being found is celebrated. You find another story where a lady has 10 silver coins And I don't know how much we appreciate coins these days. In fact, I was thinking, you know, if I drop a penny or a quarter these days, if I don't have time, I keep on going. We're talking about a time when a coin just was worth a lot lot to these folks. She had ten. She had saved up. She loses one. She's pretty sure she's lost in the house. So she lights the candle, and she gets her broom out, and she begins sweeping the house. And she finally finds it, and she gets everybody together, and they celebrate the finding of this lost coin. Now we have a son who has become the prodigal son who has said to dad, Dad, I want you dead. I want my inheritance, and I'm leaving. He leaves, and he goes, and he lives a wild lifestyle We don't see the father go after him. We see when he comes back home, the father is waiting on him, anticipating his return. When he sees him, he runs and he embraces him with compassion. But it's interesting that no one goes after this lost son. Jesus knew who he was speaking to. He knew he was speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He knew they would know the story of Cain and Abel from the Old Testament. He knew that they knew that they were to be their brother's keeper. You see, this older brother, if he would have loved his brother the way God wanted him to love his brother, he wouldn't have been working in the fields. He would have gone to have found his brother and brought him home. But this older brother decided, you know what? I really didn't like him anyway. Let him go. And you know what? He already went and he took his inheritance. That means the rest of it that gets built up, it's all mine. He had a lot to gain personally by letting his brother go. So he let him go, and now he's home, and he's like, what's going on? He was more concerned about his image and about his inheritance than he was his own brother. Verse number 27. The servant responds to this older brother, and he says, your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. Here it is. We are celebrating. Can you imagine what that did to his soul when he heard that word celebrating? We are celebrating because of his safe return. (laughs) Celebrating? You kidding me? That loser? Verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. There's a party happening. Everybody is there. Everybody. And he doesn't want to go in. You ever have one of those moments when something good happens for somebody and you just struggle to be happy for them? You just really, really do. You ever just said, you know what, I'm not going. I'm not celebrating that. No way am I being happy for them. This guy was to the point that he despised what was going on to the point that he was angry and would not go in. Verse 28 goes on to say, his father came out and begged him. But he replied, All these years I've slaved for you. Notice that word, slaved. Was the older son here? Was the older brother here? Was he a slave to his father? No, he was what? His son. You can realize that this older brother began to forget who he really is. 
He began to lose his identity and lose his relationship and his fellowship with his father to the point that he says, you know what, I've been slaving for you. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Verse 30, yet when this son of yours, <laughs> you ever done that? You're really closely connected to somebody, but you want to disconnect yourself, parents. You know what I'm talking about? Dads, kids do something you don't like. You look at your wife, you say, that kid of yours, what are you, you're disassociating yourself, aren't you? You're like, I'm not proud of them. I don't like them. I don't want to be known as being related to them. This son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Wow. It's almost as if he yelled a phrase that we say often. That's not fair. That's not fair. Well, guess what? Grace isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. You know what I'm talking about. That's not fair. You've got kids. If not, you can remember back, right? I don't know about you. Growing up, me and my sister, man, we'd go to Burger King, which was a big deal. You know what I'm saying? My kids eat out more in a month than we ate out in like five years. You know, like Burger King felt like Red Lobster. You know what I'm saying? We're going to Burger King. I'm going to get a double if they let me, man. You know what I'm saying? Like when I was a kid, eating out was a big deal. You eat it out, and they would bring the order out, and they would lay it all down, and they would lay your burger down, lay your sister's, my sister's burger down, and they put the fries and put the fries. And there was just something in you that just had to mentally, quickly assess how many fries were in your bag and how many fries were in their bag. And without a doubt, whoever had the fewer fries in their bag would point it out. Never the person that had more fries. Nobody ever said, ooh, I got more fries than you did. No, because that wouldn't work out well for you because we might go the fair route then. But instead, you who didn't have as many fries would point out, they got more fries than I got. This isn't fair. My kids, they'll argue about who got the bigger slice of pizza. This isn't fair, right? We, we shout it, and we don't leave it behind after we grow up either, do we? A lot of us are adults, all grown up. And the moment something happens that we don't like, that we feel like we're on the short end of the deal and we deserve better, we are quick to shout, that's not fair. Well, that's what he says when he shouts all the stuff about his brother. Now, you can agree it makes sense that the older brother would get upset. I mean, he was the good brother, right? He stayed home. He did what he was supposed to do. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. Well, again, grace isn't fair. His brother has gone out and wasted all of his inheritance. He's come back home, and now they're throwing a party, a very expensive party, mind you. Where do you think the money's coming from that's paying for the party? Dad's paying for the party. Guess where that money's eventually going to go if younger brother doesn't come back? To who? Older brother. Him coming back and his father saying, you are my son. It's him saying, you know what, you're back in the will. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
He took his portion, shame on him, but he's not taking any more of mine. Don't let him back in here. There's an anger from the soul of this older brother. Who does the brother coming back, this younger brother, negatively impact more than anybody else? The older brother. And he knows it, and it's not fair. But grace isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. When grace isn't fair, or excuse me, when something isn't fair, and we feel like we get on the short end of the stick, if you will, three things potentially start coming out in us, and we see them come out in this older brother. First one is this thing of comparison. We quickly jump to it, don't we? <laughs> we quickly say, I- I'm, I'm, I'm good, and they're bad. I'm, I'm better than her. I don't do that. And the comparisons just start flowing as we see here in this story. Another huge thing that begins to come out of this young man that comes out in us many times when things aren't fair and we're on the short end of the deal is insecurity begins to surface. Insecurity. We begin to forget whose we are. That's what he did. He forgot whose he was. He forgot that he was a son to his dad. And he started thinking, you know what? I'm a slave and I've earned my way in. He forgot how he was a son. How was he a son? He was a son because he was born a son. And he starts getting all insecure and he starts saying, oh, no, this is mine. This is mine. This is mine. If we're not careful, this happens in our lives too. Spiritually, we see somebody that's far away from God. They've squandered everything that's good away in their life. They come back to God. God opens the gate, says, come on in through the name of Jesus. And if we're not careful, we start becoming insecure in our relationship with God because we start thinking we maybe haven't done enough to stay good with God. Here's a couple things you got to really listen to. Listen to, listen to. I think most people in this room who are believers would say that if you are saved, that you are saved by grace. Okay? You're saved by grace. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we've been saved long enough and we've started to become good enough, we might not say it out loud, but there's something in our heart of hearts that begins to think, believe, and maybe even say that we are kept saved by our works. In other words... I deserve to be in God's favor because I've been tithing, I've been going to church, I've been serving in kids' ministry, I've been doing, I've been doing, I've been doing. While they've been out there doing whatever they've been doing, and we'll tell everybody what they've been doing too, they've been doing all that. I've been in the fields doing my job as if we deserve, based on what we've done, to be a child of God. Not only were you saved by grace, you have been kept by grace. And if you were saved by grace, you're still desperate for the grace of God today just as much as the day that you became a believer. And this older brother forgot his desperate need of grace. He forgot. So he began to become insecure. The moment you begin to think God no longer loves and accepts you in Jesus is the moment that you become terribly insecure. Listen, if you're a child of God, you're a child of God because of Jesus. If you're still a child of God, you're still a child of God because of Jesus. 
Am I today trying to proclaim all this so that you'll stop doing good things? Absolutely not, but I am trying. I am trying to get you to realize that all those good things we do, and as God is making us into be people that look much more like Jesus, it's not to earn anything from him, but it's because of what we've already received from him. Grace. Another thing that begins to creep up in our lives besides comparison and insecurity is entitlement. Entitlement. I deserve this, they don't. I've worked for this, they've squandered everything. I'm the good wife, I'm the good friend, I'm the good churchgoer. I deserve the favor of God. Grace isn't fair. Um, Barna, great research group, they recently, um, well, I'll say recently, 2013, a few years ago, did some research to kind of determine um, amongst Christians in our culture whether we are more like Jesus in our actions and our attitude or whether we're more like the Pharisees in our actions and our attitude. And I'll just go ahead and tell you the findings aren't pretty. They aren't pretty. And I don't know if this will be true of you, but I think these things that they kind of set their criteria on, a few of them are worth us processing and digesting to see where, where we are as an assessment. Let me give you some actions according to Barnum that are like Jesus, and I would agree with these actions and these attitudes. This is kind of the criteria they took, okay? Actions like Jesus look like this. I listen to others to learn their story before telling them about my faith. In other words, I don't just blow up in there and I've got all the answers and you need Jesus and just shut up and listen to me. And We take time to know people and to hear from people, and then we do share our faith, okay? Next. Attitudes that are like Jesus. I believe God is for everyone. Oops, I'm supposed to be on actions. I'm sorry. I regularly choose to have meals with people very different, with very different faith or morals from me. That one scares some of us, right? Some of you read it before I read it, and you're like, ooh, what does that mean? I regularly choose to have meals with people very different, with very different faith or morals from me. Now, some of you are so oblivious to your neighbors that you don't realize there are people out there that have different faiths and different morals from you. But if you're paying attention, you have neighbors and you have friends and you have coworkers that their faith or lack thereof is so different than ours that it's just unbelievable. And their morals are maybe non-existent. The question is, are you willing to do things like Jesus and sit down with a meal over them and get to know them? That's what we see Jesus doing. The next one, I'm personally spending time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. Here's some attitudes that are like Jesus. I see God-given value in every person, regardless of their past or present condition. In other words, when you hear what someone's done, you don't write them off and say they don't matter. You look at them as God's creation and people that Jesus died for. And you see the redeemable value in them. It goes on. I believe God is for everyone. Next. I feel compassion for people who are not following God and doing immoral things. If you laugh and you snicker and you make your comments and you spread your gossip and or you do it through social media, every time somebody trips and falls, you're Attitudes aren't that of Jesus. So those are some actions and some attitudes. Let the Spirit of God say to you whatever he wants to. Now here's kind of the self-righteous end of things. Here's the Phariseeism, if you will. 
They would call these self-righteous actions. Next. Uh, I tell others the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. Next. I don't talk about my sins or struggles. That's between me and God. I like to point out those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. Next. I prefer to serve people who attend my church rather than those outside the church. And here come some self-righteous attitudes. I find it hard to be friends with people who seem to constantly do the wrong things. Now, if we're not careful, we carried over what our parents told us, which was good advice when we were young, okay? There were some people we probably didn't need to be friends with when we were in our teenage years. But we're grown up now. Hopefully God's matured us in the faith. And guess who you need to be friends with these days? People who don't live like Jesus. Why? Because they need, say it, Jesus. And we have who? Jesus. Okay? Next, it's not my responsibility to help people who won't help themselves. Next, I feel grateful to be a Christian when I see other people's failures and flaws. Now, I just want to tell you as I read the first list of the attitudes and actions of Jesus and this second list of self-righteous attitudes and actions, the Spirit of God has like been working on my heart because there are things in me that, that, that aren't what they ought to be. But if we're not careful, we will find ourselves living like this older brother, angry, crying, that's not fair, and forgetting who we are and whose we are. Look at the love and the grace in verse 31 from the Father. And we're going to look at that a lot more next week. Verse 31. His father said to him, I don't know about you, if I'm the dad in this situation, I'm probably ready to raise my voice. I'm ready to overpower my son, remind him who he is, right, where he came from. It happens in my world. Sometimes it needs to happen as a dad. But notice what the, what the father does in verse 31. The father said to him, look, what do you call him? Dear son. What's the father doing? He is gently, boldly reminding this older son who he is and whose he is. He's like, son, you're, you're mine. I, I know who you are. I love you. You are my, you're not my slave. You're my son too. He goes on to say, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and every and everything I have is yours. The son earlier said, you're holding stuff back from me. And the father reminds him, everything I've got is yours, man. Like, come on, remember who you are and whose you are. The father reminds the older brother who he is. He's reminding him that in his brother coming home, he doesn't lose, but that they, they win. He reminds him they've won his brother back. He reminds them this is not about an inheritance. This is not about stuff. This is not about image. This is not about status. This is not about a financial gain. This is about another human being who is your brother. If we're not careful, we make life all about stuff and not about people. And the last time I checked, Jesus didn't die for stuff. He died for 
people. He died for people. People are more important than anything. Verse 32. We had to celebrate. There it is. We had to celebrate this happy day, he tells his son. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. He's reminding him of what it's all about. It's about people. It's about death and it's about life. I think sometimes we forget about that when we think about people. We forget that it's about death and we, think, we forget that it's about life. We forget that it's about God and it's about a real enemy whose name is Satan. We forget that it's about heaven and we forget that it's about hell. And we want to make all these other issues the primary issue that may have their place of importance. But listen, it's about life and death when it comes to people. And this older son needed to be reminded of it. Story ends in verse 32. We don't know what the older brother does. We don't know if he goes back in and celebrates. We don't know if he sits outside and sulks. I believe God's giving all of us an opportunity to write our own story. Again, grace isn't fair, and I want to qualify this. Grace isn't fair. Fair isn't good enough. If you want fair, let me tell you how fair works out biblically. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Word of God declares. It goes on to say that the wages of our sin is Death. Death for who? Death for all because we're all guilty of our sin. If you want fair, that's the deal you get. Grace isn't fair because fair isn't good enough. Grace is God giving us something that we do not deserve. He gives us Jesus. He gives us hope. He gives us forgiveness. Fair doesn't get it done. There's grace enough and grace for everyone. There's not just enough grace for you. There's grace enough for your neighbor too. And I think that's where some of us get bothered. We want the grace, but we think somebody else doesn't deserve the grace. Listen, if I get grace, everybody ought to get grace. That's where grace gets fair is because God says, you know what's available to everyone? The gates open wide. The gates open wide. We should share it and we should celebrate it. I want to quickly look at one more verse of Scripture. It's going to come on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 3, verse 4. It's going to remind us who we are, and it's going to remind us of some very, very important things as we think about this older brother just being so consumed, not with people, but with inheritance. Verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by His great mercy that we have been born again. How are we children of God? By being born again. Because we went to church, and we acted right, and we did what we were supposed to do. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says at all. How are we born again? We're born again because God raised who? Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, verse 4. And we have a priceless inheritance. Priceless inheritance. The older brother was so worried about losing some of his stuff. Do you realize that in Jesus you have everything? You have a priceless inheritance. You couldn't give it all away if you wanted to. There is an unlimited supply of grace and glory and blessings that God wants to give us in eternity. And he wants to share it now because we're never going to run out of it. He wants us to make it all about people. That lost and that wayward and that prodigal son, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure 
and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. That's what he's got for you. That's what he's got for me. And that's what he's got for everybody else. Everybody else? You mean the gate is open wide to anybody through Jesus? Yes, it is. And I say praise be to God because that means I get in. I get in. Now, if you've experienced grace, praise God for that. But also praise God for the others that are experiencing grace too. The invitation this morning is for believers who've experienced grace to step inside the celebration and the party. To not sit outside and sulk and to say, I'm the one that deserves the attention now, but just to celebrate what God is doing in grace through other people's lives. The question for you is this, are you willing to come inside and celebrate? Are you willing to come inside and celebrate? Just a moment. Um, we're gonna we're gonna pray. Um, we're gonna wrap up our time. Band's gonna begin coming up right now. They're gonna get ready to play a song um, to give you a time to respond to Jesus this morning. This gate is open wide. I don't have the power to open it. I don't have the power to close it. That's not under my authority. But God, through Jesus, decided to swing it open wide. And for this time, and for this moment, the gate is open wide. If you've never experienced grace, we invite you into Jesus to experience his grace and to experience his forgiveness. Maybe you struggle with the idea that the gate is open wide for everyone. Let God change your heart today. Step into the celebration of grace today. Be reminded of how much grace that you have experienced and that you are experiencing day after day after day that not only saved you but keeps you saved. And celebrate with those who are returning home. Experience the grace of God. It's also going to be an opportunity to worship as we sing. Lift your voice. Celebrate him and his glory and his name. It's going to be an opportunity for you to worship him through giving. Offering buckets are going to be passed. And if you're a believer, this is a great time to say, God, I believe in you. God, I trust in you. God, I want to be about what you are about. I'm willing to give of myself and what you have blessed me with and do that gladly. It's also going to be an opportunity for you to drop in your communication card. If it's your first time here, man, drop that in. We'd love to connect with you. Ultimately, our end goal with you is we want you to find and we want you to follow Jesus. That's what we want for you. That's what we want for you. We want you to have this grace that we declare. We want you to experience the risen Savior whose name is Jesus. Let's pray.